0: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's ang com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket?
1: Welcome to a special episode of Past Gas. Uh, we are all in our living rooms uh, separately. Uh, you know why? Uh, we'll, won't talk any more about it. We're gonna power through this and have a good episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's all you guys have to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm very glad to talk. Yeah. I'm very glad to talk to you guys because I've been in my apartment now for two weeks, basically by myself um it sucks uh <laughs> i don't know what else to say yeah, i
2: can't even imagine how it is you know as as a single person i'm really happy to have my
1: fiance here but
2: we're we're kind of getting at each other's throats already oh man so i
1: <laughs> this week we are doing the cannonball run part two uh you know last week we talked about the the inaugural cannonball run why they started it how it was a protest against government regulation uh that was also a uh, transcontinental race uh raced illegally by uh outlaws like brock yates and the uh polish racing team yeah that, um, <laughs> so uh i
3: think calling them outlaws is a little i don't know it's a
1: stretch well, it was not Yeah, illegal. I think they they
2: kind of romanticized yeah. it a little bit, but it's just like guys speeding. Mm-hmm.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Um it was just guys speeding, but speeding is Ill- is illegal. It yeah. is the 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 lowest form of uh being an outlaw. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was an We're outlaw. Ripping
2: yesterday. your ripping the tag off your mattress, that's <laughs> the lowest.
1: That's it, that's actually for the manufacturer. You can rip all the tags you want off your mattress. Yeah, that's what the, that's
3: what the Boston Tea Party was about. (laughs) They were like, let me rip this uh, mattress tag off or give me death.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have not even introduced ourselves yet. Uh, I'm Nolan Sykes. With me over teleconference, as always, is uh, one James Pumphrey.
3: Hi. We're working out the kinks. We're getting,
1: we're getting it. Yeah, we're getting there. And uh, Joe Weber,
2: What's up, uh,
1: Past Gas Nation? <laughs> uh, all right, yeah, so let's roll that theme song, I guess.
3: Past Gas Podcast It's about
2: cars, it's not about ports.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the Past Gas Podcast. If you like Past Gas, please help us grow by giving us a good rating and a nice review on the podcast platform of your choice. It'll really help us out, and I really appreciate that. So thank you. All right, now for the show. After stories of the second running appeared in Car and Driver and Auto Week magazines, the secret was out. It seemed like everyone in the nation was talking about the cannonball run. Letters and phone calls poured in offering support, dismissal, and occasionally outright disdain for the event. You know, nerds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Got <'em>. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, though, it seemed as though a majority of the public viewed the race as a chance for a small group of, quote, mostly trained drivers to just blow off some steam and embrace their wild side while pursuing a record that most people thought was impossible to break. And now that the story was being talked about on national news broadcasts, it seemed like as good a time as any for Brock Yates to announce the next event. The third cannonball run was scheduled for November 13th, 1972
3: step one as always was finding the car now kirk white the man who had lent yates and gurney his ferrari daytona had just sold that ferrari daytona and that meant that revising his previous strategy and breaking records with the ferrari was off the table turns out being an editor of car and driver wasn't exactly giving yates ferrari money so he had to find an alternative
1: yeah car journalism doesn't pay ferrari money
3: Mm -mm. I think technically we're (laughs) car journalists and we can't even afford Evos. Anyway. That is unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe an Evo 2. An Evo 2 maybe. Yeah, maybe an Evo 2. But it would be a bad financial decision for either
2: of us. Did you guys see that uh, Evo 9 Jackie Chan edition? Mm. No. That I posted in Slack? That's cool. Uh, I guess they just let them design an Evo 9 and they made 50 of them. Well, he like
3: famously yeah. loved Evos. He drove them in uh, I forget what movie, but he drives an Evo in some in movie. like
2: a bunch of different movies. He, yeah. I, I, he seems like he's sponsored by Mitsubishi because he drives like uh, Pajero, Pajero 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 uh, turbo in like this 80s movie. He drives an Evo 3, he drives an Evo 9, like oh, and one of those Starians too. Oh, oh that's cool. I
1: love Starians, yeah, those are sick, yeah. There's this guy named John Lazarak who uh has an LS7 swapped uh Starion and it's one of the fastest cars I've ever been in. I got to ride in it at an autocross mm-hmm. and it, it's crazy. My eyes almost came out of their sockets. It was amazing. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a wild
2: car. <laughs> Dude, you almost pulled a, uh a, the mask? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy like uh like air horns are playing. As my eyes flew out of there, <laughs> <laughs> out of my skull. Ah, auga
3: <laughs> And a uh, little little sneak peek. We're doing uh, up to speed on Pajero coming up soon. I think I'm going to record it either today or Monday. So that's cool. From my hey, home,
1: cool. we can both film our shows at the same time. We don't have to share equipment anymore.
3: Yeah, normally cool. Nolan and I can't film at the same time. We gotta alternate. Yeah. But hey. <laughs> Now we can.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Immediately, Brock reached out to Moon Mullins, the PR man with a plan from Dodge that he was able to borrow the Moon Trash 3 wagon from. At this time, Dodge was heavily involved with Cotton Owens, an ex-stock car and NASCAR driver out of Spartanburg, South Carolina. Cotton Owens was a pretty cool dude. He was known as the King of the Modifieds. Owens found most of his success in the field of stock car racing, winning 19 out of the 23 races he entered in 1949 and tallying up 54 more wins in 1951. Holy crap.
3: That's a lot of wins.
1: Yeah, this guy is a god. But uh, Also, dude, what's with NASCAR drivers have the coolest names? Yeah, yeah. Cotton Owens? That's a sick name. That's why I like uh what would, your, le- what would
2: your NASCAR name be if you raced in NASCAR? Uh
1: I think I would I would keep my name, but I'd add nasty to the beginning. So I'd be nasty Nolan Sykes. <laughs> That's tight.
2: <laughs> Am I allowed to change my last name too?
3: Yeah, you can just be whatever All you right. want. I think my name would be like Pickle Martini Jr.
2: <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Mine would be like uh Patina Flywheel. Oh, yeah. That's like
3: a uh, two, two parts of a car those are two car terms <laughs> <laughs> you could you wouldn't you wouldn't have any other choice but to be a race car driver
2: no they'd be forced like into you, it
3: you want to go to med school not with that name get behind the wheel
2: yeah doctor patina flywheel <laughs> get out of here
1: <laughs> so twenty four of those wins in nineteen fifty one were consecutive, which is amazing. this guy how do I not know about this guy already this is this this guy's the best. Uh, he was also a three-time three-time uh, United States Modified Championship winner. Uh, he also won in 1957 at Daytona Beach, securing Pontiac's first NASCAR victory. So this guy's got a nice little legacy in NASCAR. Cotton Owens's racing career was an interesting one. And like many racers, it was dotted with the occasional accident. In 1955, he was involved in a four-car pileup at Daytona. The accident was so severe that one of the cars actually burst into flames and Owens reportedly, reportedly risked his life to pull the burning driver from his car and rolled him around on the sand to snuff out the flames. Later, when being forced into the ambulance in a state of shock, he tried fighting police officers and paramedics while only saying, I've got to get my car. <laughs> oh my I God. love this guy. What a day. This uh, is, no, seriously.
3: <laughs> What Owens was really known for was the ability to build Dodges. In the mid to late 60s, Chrysler provided full factory support to Cotton Owens Garage. He helped create some of the most impressive hemi-powered stock cars at the point. It was well known that any car touched by Cotton Owens was almost unbeatable. Even racers such as Mario Andretti and Al Unser would come to Owens for advice and to race in his cars. In 1998, he was named as one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers. And he was one of five individuals chosen to be inducted into the 2013 NASCAR Hall of Fame.
1: All right. I'm glad that he got his his due, his recognition. This guy's amazing.
3: (laughs) Owens was the guy when it came to getting a race car done. And through a classic, I know a guy who knows a guy connection, Dodge PR man Moon Mullins connected Yates with Owens. Uh, When it came to it, Moon Mullins still had to find Yates a car. Now, this was 1972. The muscle car era was still going, but slowly losing life. As discussed in a previous episode, restrictions such as speed limits, safety concerns, build quality, and most importantly, the Clean Air Act, were starting to limit the intensity that muscle cars once held. Dodge has never exactly been the company to shy away from sponsoring just about anyone or anything with a pulse. I mean, they paid us to get a Dodge tattoo on my chest. That's a real story. (laughs) Um,
1: I love when people ask if that's fake.
3: Yeah, it's not. Uh, It's not fake. (laughs) I have a real Dodge tattoo on my chest. It does.
1: Um, I love uh, re- seeing it in real life and remembering that it that was a thing that happened. Yeah, yeah. every <laughs> once in a while I'll be getting out of the shower and I'll catch myself and I'll be like,
3: you stupid
1: idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Dodge saw supplying a car to Yates and his cannonball as an excuse to help throw muscle cars into people's faces once more and try to prevent the inevitable die off that new regulations would surely entail. Mullins found a 340 cubic inch Challenger V8 in the press fleet and sent it over. Uh, Yates then sent it to Cotton Owens's garage in order to get it modified into a, quote, modern day moonshine runner that would be set up for cross-country racing. When Yates flew into Spartanburg to pick up his car, Cotton gave him this advice. Just
3: imagine you're hauling 50 gallons of white liquor instead of high test and, well, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: so dumb. The gunshots are part of the quote. <laughs> the race was set for November 13th, 1972. At one point, the entries for the third cannonball reached 37 teams, although several of them dropped out early. Apparently, one of the people to drop out was none other than Edsel Ford II, who had planned to run a two-liter Capri race
3: car. Of the teams that didn't drop out, there was a pretty big variation in the vehicles chosen. There were multiple Porsche 911s, a 1951 Studebaker powered by a modified Chevy V8 brought by some airline pilots. There was a
2: De Tomaso Pantera.
1: Yeah, we covered that on uh, Bumper to Bumper, one of those cars.
2: We got to do an episode on De Tomaso. He's a crazy character. He fled Argentina because he Plotted to overthrow the government and then he became a race car driver for Maserati. Dude's crazy. Dang.
1: That's... We should do that. And
3: there was also a Mercedes 250 SE sedan. Shockingly, there was even a Cadillac limousine entered by a team called Right Bra Racing Team. Right <laughs> Interesting Bra name. Racing yeah. Team.
1: It's the right bra, right, dude. Right bra? It's right bra. No, no, that's the right bra. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's the, is this the right bra?
1: Yeah, bro. That's right, bro. Is this right, bro?
3: Yeah, that's the right, bro. <laughs> all, right, all right. The night of the race, people met at the Red Ball Garage and discussed their plans. Yates intended to take the newly completed I-85 through the Shenandoah Valley and then pick up US 40 West. The interstate was less than three quarters completed in 1972, so even being able to use the interstate as much as they did was still amazing. Now, before the race began, Yates gave his normal spiel explaining the rules. There's only one rule, <laughs> and that's that there are no rules. It's still a
2: rule. That's a rule.
3: It's two rules. <laughs> <laughs> Word had slipped to the press about the times of the event, and the outside and outside of the Red Ball Garage was swarming with personalities from multiple news stations to try and beat the crowd before quote. Some nut triggered an all points bulletin across the entire East Coast. Yates <laughs> was the second to leave. He left right behind the polling ration division of America. So once again, claim their rightful poll position.
1: Nice. Very fun.
3: Yeah, they seem like a bunch of fun guys, actually. <laughs> yeah. They seem uh, like I mean- a, a bunch of dudes from like a movie my dad would like or something. Like very like national lampoony. <laughs> Like John, I imagine oh, yeah. John Candy is one of these guys. Or like would oh, play sure. him. Yeah.
2: yeah. Like just some merry pranksters. Yeah.
3: Exactly, Joe. I think that's very well put. They sound exactly like some merry pranksters.
1: <laughs> Immediately, Yates was slowed down by monsoon-like weather in Virginia. Quote. It was
3: like going through a car wash.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the storm delayed every team and was hailed as, quote, the worst storm of the year. A team that brought a Chevy Vega quickly found out that their lack of cruise control was a real problem when it came to uh, the comfort level of the ride. So with some modern ingenuity, they invented some cruise control for themselves. They strategically stuck a snow scraper they have lying around in the trunk and jammed it under the steering wheel onto the gas pedal. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, they Jesus. did Jesus. Wait,
2: so they're they're <laughs> Immobilizing the steering wheel and also jamming the gas pedal at the same time,
1: <laughs> I'm sure it's like under the dash somehow, right mm-hmm. like that's pretty awesome, uh, and they did that for the entire race, <laughs> keeping the car pinned at the top speed of one hundred and ten miles an hour that's upset that cool I don't know trip. if i was
2: if I was racing, I don't think cruise control would be like my biggest priority. It was highway racing that's true, yeah, because it's just a straight line
3: yeah, and you'd get like some pretty bad leg crampage. But that is that's true. absolutely
1: insane, and I would not do that. <laughs> 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 One team that was driving a Mercedes-Benz 250 SE sedan was filled with some pretty lofty names, the biggest of these being Pete Brock, also known as the designer of the Shelby Daytona Coupe. Uh, we mentioned him in uh, Ferrari versus Ford Part 3. Now Pete Brock and his co-drivers Dick Gilly Gilmartin and Jack Cowell had a vis- very specific if not blasphemous idea in mind for how to get across the continent an hour before the race brock's co-drivers arrived at red ball after completing their quote mysterious quest to find the proper vestments that sounds very weird
2: (laughs) trying to find vests for the race
1: (laughs) matching vests inside this bag of goodies uh, was a pair of black slacks and matching shirt with a reversed collar. According they're, to Brock, they're dressed that, like they're dressed like priests. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. dressed up like priests. Yeah, uh, and the costumes fit the team name pretty well. As they went by the the Flying Fathers, um, Gil Martin committed to the bit with a South Boston Irish accent.
3: Oh yeah, no, we're just uh, we're going over here to help all these sick kids. Uh, we got to help the kids. That's South <laughs> Boston.
2: Are you going to do that for the entire race, dude?
3: Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I will. <laughs> Go park the car and Harvard oh. a yard. <laughs> uh, there wasn't a lot of traffic on the interstate, and that meant that the Flying Fathers really were flying down the highway, though that changed when they hit Oklahoma, where they got pulled over after flying over a railroad c- crossing to discover a <laughs> cop on the other side. Of course, when the cops saw them, he said he was concerned for their safety and asked if they'd been drinking, which Gil Martin incredulously responded,
1: speed liquor. I mean, you know, priests, they definitely don't like going fast. So I think that was a great, great, um, incredulous response by Gil Martin, you know? Yeah. No man of God would ever want to drive fast. No, but they were. drink liquor. No, they, they drink. They, they love
3: they love liquor. It's like part of the thing, like wine.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <It's> like, <laughs> they yeah. do it every every Sunday morning. <laughs> They're like, ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, those accusations were impossible. They were priests, after all. When the officer replied, we clocked you at more than 85, Gil Martin went all in. He's like, oh, did you now? <laughs> uh, they told the story of how they were in a hurry to deliver the Monsignor's private car from New York to LA. The officer kindly reduced the speed from 85 to 70 miles per hour on the ticket and allowed the righteous men to pay in cash.
1: That's actually pretty cool because I, I, had a, I got a speeding ticket a few months ago and mm-hmm. the, co- like he, the cop clocked me at 89, even though I swear to God I was going 82. Uh, but he was like, you know, I'm doing you a favor here because uh, 89 is reckless driving. And that's a misdemeanor. And I was like, oh, uh, thanks.
2: Was this on the way up to the Tascadero?
1: Yeah. I was going down over the 46, I think the, the same highway that James Dean, you know, died on. Uh,
2: yeah. Right by that garlic town.
1: No, that's Gilroy. Oh, by the
2: artichoke town.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't remember where it was. I think it was outside lost Hills. Um, but, Yeah, I still maintain that I was going 82. Anyway.
3: Tell it to the judge. (laughs) I got something to say. Tell it to the judge.
1: (laughs) Well, it turns out they weren't the first contestants to annoy the fuzz. Down the road at the Arizona-New Mexico border, uh, after cresting a small hill, the Flying Fathers were greeted by a wall of flashing red and blue lights as they slowly drove through the wall of police officers uh, they realized that they were gonna be let through. After making it through, they recognized a couple of the cars from the Red Ball garage. It turned out that the 5 had caught word of the event and set up a roadblock to stop as many of the competitors as possible in their tracks. The heavenly prospectors opened up as soon as they got through the roadblock and made a great pace towards the finish line.
3: Now, Brock and his team had almost the perfect run. They had hit only green lights since they arrived and they only had one actual run in with the police. But as they entered Los Angeles, they were stopped by a train in Riverside for 12 minutes. When they arrived at the Portofino Inn, two other cars had arrived before them. They had lost by exactly 12 minutes.
2: Oh, my God. Dang. That sucks. That (laughs) sucks.
3: One team that didn't make it to the finish line, though, was the Wright Brawl Racing Team. The Wright Bra racing team was driving the brand new Cadillac limousine. They got the limousine by convincing the owner of the limousine service that they were borrowing the limo for three women who were in town for a few days of fun in New York City. Though they did at least pimp out the limo with racing tires and aircraft headlights, the team was sponsored by the Wright Bra company, which is how they got their name. Almost immediately, the limo was pulled over after passing a trooper. The team managed to get lost in Texas. During their fantastic time in beautiful Texas, one of the team members was taking a nap in the back, like you do, and woke up to the puzzling realization that, gee, the windows fell up. As it turns out, the third driver of the team, who was very inexperienced with driving, had fallen asleep at the wheel about 30 miles outside of El Paso. The limo went off the road and rolled a few times just short of a ravine. The back of the limo had no seatbelts, which was rather unfortunate for the driver who was taking a nap back there. The accident caused them to receive a nice dunking from a porta potty that they had brought with them.
1: Oh god. No. No. <laughs> why would I mean I understand why you'd want that, but no.
2: <laughs> Wait, so they they're towing a porta potty and then they they crash and the porta potty dumps all that liquid into
1: the back of the
3: limo. No, well, I think that they probably had like a smaller, like sort of maybe like camping toilet. Yeah, they probably. Going. I think
1: it was like a like a little squatty potty that they just had back there.
3: Yeah, uh, you know. uh, and
1: it's
2: full of just
3: gush, <laughs> yeah, gush. Yeah, I mean these aren't that long of races. They're like what you know, like forty something hours. Like yeah. if you poop in the limo, you're a jerk.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it ruins the limo. Yeah. Oh, it, man. It ruined the
3: limo so bad that they uh bought it from the owner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god. Hey man, really love the limo. Um we're actually gonna buy it from you. You yeah. know, you don't need to you don't need to see it or anything. We just really like the title. Oh cool. Um, I
3: just want to get some stuff out uh from nah,
1: uh, <laughs> uh no nah. I mean, what, like, what kind of stuff? Because uh, I, I can send it to you. I can send it to you.
3: Yeah, it's cool. I mean, you guys are here. I just, like, run out and grab some of the stuff. No,
1: no, 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 no. Um, I just, I, how do Look, I? Look, dude, we're going to uh, send you your stuff, all right? Just get
2: I just, out of here. I just
3: think I should go. Get, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors.
0: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie dot com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
2: Hey, is there any chance of doing a limo for a season of Hilo?
3: Probably. I'm going to uh, say no.
1: Yeah. Unless we turn it into like one of those monster truck limos.
3: Now, Yates had one again in the end.
1: Sorry, sorry. Just one about limos. Like, I Mm. used to think that limos are like the ultimate sign of like success. Yeah. Fanciness
3: and fans.
1: Fanciness. Now, I would much rather just have like not a limo, but maybe be driven in like a nice car than have a big car like that.
3: You know? Yeah, they're not very practical. You end up having to like walk. To the from the front to the back with like, <laughs> like <Yeah>. just ducking,
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> it's like too long. You don't need a car that long.
2: But I, I that's I w- why I like those conversion vans with like the extra thing on top
1: for oh, standing. Yeah. up. You oh, can stand yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, that's like, like a, what LeBron has. Yeah, like, like a nice M- NBA. Yeah, yeah, a nice um
3: like sprinter van with with like luxurious seating. Sounds
1: like my speed. And a GameCube. Yeah, 100%.
3: (laughs) Wall-to-wall TVs and a water fountain that only has Powerade in it. (laughs) Yates had won again. In the end, 26 teams reached the Portofino Inn. Most importantly, the race was no longer a secret. Literally everyone knew about it. It was on the news. Reporters were everywhere. Now, I know that we said... A few times now that the race was no longer a secret, but this time, like everyone really knew about it. People were begging for the next race, but at the same time, the US started to feel like it was a ra- unraveling around people. Watergate was shaking the US political system to its core, and Vietnam was still going on, entering its 22nd year by 1973. And things weren't exactly sunshine and rainbows over in the Middle East either. Tensions were high as it was about to erupt into the Yom Kippur War. The Yom Kippur War resulted in the intensification of the Organization of Petroleum, AKA OPEC. You ever heard of it? Now OPEC tightened regulations on oil pricing and production, which led to what would be known as the two-year oil crisis. Oh, there it is. There it is. The oil crisis began after an embargo on oil products was placed, causing the prices of oil to skyrocket over 400% from $3 per barrel in the U.S. to over 12. Lines formed at gas stations all over the country. By 1974, Nixon had fled office and the oil crisis was in full effect. Worst of all, Yates' biggest fear had finally taken shape the double nickel laws put in place a 55 mile per hour restriction on all highways. The goal of the law was to conserve fuel as well as create a safer driving environment. Signs popped up all over the place that stated, 55, stay alive. While it's true (laughs) that due to (laughs) air dynamics, each 5 miles per hour you drive over 50 miles per hour is like paying an extra 15 cents per gallon of gas. 55... Is a very boring speed.
1: Oh my god, it's the worst.
3: Yeah, uh,
2: <laughs> back it's like the twenty five for highways. Twenty five <laughs> yeah. sucks.
1: Yeah, um, like when I, me and my ex girlfriend, we went up to Tahoe to buy a truck, and I had to tow it back, and uh, it was a huge old F one or F two fifty on a U haul trailer, um, and on the trailer it's like, hey, stick to fifty five. So I stuck to 55 all the way from Tahoe down to LA. It took us like 16 hours to get down here. Oh my God. That was like 12 hours. But um, it was the most boring drive of my life. 55 sucked. (laughs) Did you
2: stay safe though?
1: I did stay stay safe. Did stay, yeah. Didn't have, uh, yeah, I stayed safe, stayed slow, no blowouts. So it was all good.
3: Suddenly the notion of recreational driving for any reason became unpatriotic the cannonball was indefinitely put on hold
1: but indefinitely wasn't all that indefinite the next race was scheduled for <laughs> april 23rd 1975 the general view of participants was eh, well this sucks oh well looks like it might get a bit better soon though uh entries for the race were submitted directly to the magazine wow. which is pretty cool it's like power tour now mm-hmm. basically while the race started as a, you know, fuck the establishment type of thing, a lot of that sentiment had disappeared by the fourth race. At this point, it was basically either people chasing the record or people pretending to chase the record while just messing around and having some fun. So, James, you and I were having a discussion about this uh-huh. uh, a little earlier, how this is kind of what you expected at this point mm-hmm. in this story.
3: You yeah. Know? Yeah, it's like um, kind of a week... Thing to be like, yeah, I'm gonna stand up for the man by, you know, driving a car really fast. It's like, okay, all right, dude. <laughs> like, the- now for this event, Yates decided just to run the Challenger again. This time with a few uh, updates. He installed a 22-gallon NASCAR fuel tank and a Posi-Traction rear diff. A, a serious entry, though, came from Jack May, a real estate broker from Florida. May was gunning for the record, and he brought his cream Ferrari 246 GTS Dino. People were too distracted to notice the 1973 Chevy pickup from Modesto, California. While the truck didn't exactly have much going for it, its driver, Jack McCoy, did. Now, McCoy was one of the best stock car racers on the West Coast, and his 454-powered Chevy had extra fuel tanks, which allowed the pickup to have a real chance against the competition.
1: Dude, I want to drive a 454 C10 across the country. That'd be sick. Yeah, yeah man. That sounds amazing. Yeah. That I sounds like, so cool. Yeah, I like trucks, man. I've been looking at trucks all week.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, there's like an old Chevy truck called a Cheyenne. I think it might be a C10 like trim level or something. But, um, I was in an old folks' home, Casey's grandparents, like before we got quarantined, I was hanging out with them. And this dude just has like the nicest like old Chevy truck with like four fifty-four badges on the side and just like big like Mixie Thompson's on the back. It's really it's like like yeah, an old man definitely built this, but like that old man used to be a badass. Probably still is. (laughs) Yeah.
1: In the face of the double nickel laws, citizens had discovered and popularized. Citizen Band Radio, also known as CB. And by 1973, Channel 19 had become a coast to coast alert system uh, that people could report the presence of smokies. Or yeah, I got a smoky over there. Cops. Cops. <laughs> yeah. While the racers expected CB to be a huge advantage, it turned out that in Ohio specifically, the truckers were not thrilled about so many cars whizzing by uh, using their channels to monitor the police and cops were also listening in ohio was and is still known for its ruthless enforcement of speed laws yates and his team lost over 30 minutes after being chased into a truck stop and forced to hide from the police have you ever hid from the police Mm, not in a car me neither not in a car you just
2: like pull over and you you turn your car off and you pull your seat down
3: no have you 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 done done that, that joe yeah <laughs> I was
2: I might I might have been a little paranoid at the time yeah <laughs> but oh I get it uh, I don't know if they're actually chasing me or not it wasn't there wasn't like lights or anything but I was like it was It was, There was a time in my life where I was like a cop magnet and I was just like always I never like stopped doing shady shit, but I would just like get pulled over and get <laughs> arrested I got arrested five times in like my junior year of high, high school? school wow damn yeah for doing what oh uh, having fun
3: I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah dude that sounds
3: cool <laughs> uh
1: when i was like 19 me and my buddies were skating at cal poly and cal poly has a strict no skating policy and uh we we had to run from the campus police and jumped in some into some bushes to hide from them it was very it was fun nice and that <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: fun if you don't get caught mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah my story is not as cool mm. i was having fun but it sounds like less less fun than what joe is
2: well it turns out that you can have fun without getting arrested and it took me way too long to figure that out
3: jack may and his ferrari placed in first place establishing a new world record of 35 hours and 53 minutes one minute faster than the previous record made years earlier by yates and gurney in their daytona
1: that's pretty cool
3: yeah one minute that's a lot not really (laughs) that's like (laughs) so close when you consider how far they went
1: yeah that's like a thousandth of a second that's like nothing yeah
3: the race wasn't very eventful for the teams, except for one team driving old Bristol 410. Anatoly Arutinov and Bill Proyer showed up nice. with hopes of having a competitive time in the Bristol 410. During the race, they encountered a young female hitchhiker in Tennessee. Since this was the age before picking up hitchhikers meant that you were probably going to get your head cut off, they stopped to pick her up. When a cop spotted a loose license plate on the bristol they were stopped and then charged with violating the man act now the man act aka the white slave traffic act of 1910 is a relatively unknown law that was aimed at curbing sex trafficking in the u.s by her by prohibiting the transportation of underage women across state lines for immoral purposes now as yates phrased it uh, the misunderstanding took hours to clear up and produced the most unusual and humorous excuse for a poor finish of all the cannonballs
2: yeah it's hilarious getting charged for sex trafficking <laughs> <What> the- <laughs> also that it seems like that cop was like waiting to pull someone over for that super obscure law uh-huh. <laughs> like just oh i can't wait till i can you know slap the man act on someone
3: yeah but i mean it still is like illegal to transfer a Minor across state lines, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. It should be. It should be. Yeah, it should be. That's... Yeah, on May 5th,
3: 1975, Time Magazine published an article titled Cannonball Dash. The article told of an event that was unsponsored, illicit, and carrying no prize money. The cannonball does not exactly compete in the public imagination with the Indy 500 or Le Mans. Yet, among the dedicated speed freaks... The non-televised, non-spectacular, has become something of a legend in the five tenuous years of its existence. The Time article was shockingly positive, going so far as to note that the participants made no public nuisance of themselves, suffered no loss of life or limbs, and racked up a total of 12 tickets. The article managed to bring even more attention to the run. Specifically, this time it brought the attention of Hollywood, Ooh. there a lot. Hey, that's where we live. That's where we are, man. <laughs> there were a lot of. Talk about us, yeah, man. We, this is when we started to notice. There were a lot of <laughs> movies that were loosely based on the event, such as the Sylvester Stallone classic Death Race Two Thousand. More importantly, the movie Gumball Rally posed the biggest threat at jeopardizing the entire Cannonball event, as too much publicity would make it impossible to make a clean run.
1: It is unlikely that the final cannonball would have ever happened if it wasn't for a guy named Hal Needham. Hal Needham was a Hollywood stuntman, starting his career as a stunt double for the TV western Have Gun, Will Travel, and quickly became one of the top stuntmen of the 1960s. His career in Hollywood led to his longtime friendship with one Burt Reynolds. At one point, Needham lived in Burt Reynolds' house for 12 years. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> And it it was that friendship that allowed Needham the opportunity to direct his first movie, Smokey and the Bandit, in 1977. Uh, I know we have a lot of younger listeners. If you haven't seen Smokey and the Bandit, I think it holds up surprisingly well. It's a great movie. It's still very entertaining. It's funny. It's got action.
3: Got a little romance. Cars. It's got a
1: fire chicken. It's great. That's right. Fire chicken. Uh, Needham... Decided he wanted to make a movie about the cannonball races. When it was mentioned that both Gumball Rally and Cannonball had already been made, he said, f- them. We'll make a better one. Oh, uh, they've actually made that movie twice. Uh, uh, nah, okay, f- it. Make a better one, dude. That's <laughs> yeah. how you do it, man. Yeah. Of course. That's uh, like
2: white guys with podcasts. They're like, Wait, has a <laughs> podcast ever been done? And then,
3: <laughs> What if we talk
2: we about can make murder?
1: <laughs> Car murder coming soon from yeah. Donut. Uh, <laughs> we'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Uh, anyway, so he was already a pretty insane guy who had recently attempted the speed record in, a des- in the desert in a rocket car, uh, and he wanted hands-on research for his script. So the 1979 Cannonball was born. Because of his desire to host another Cannonball run, Yates was fired from Car and Driver. Uh, That was alright though because it only topped off the Rocky relationship with the magazine that Yates had been maintaining for years. Yeah, I think I would like Brock Brock Yates. Mm -hmm. He does kind of seem like a a wild and crazy guy. Yeah, I think I would Uh, have fun. The next run was scheduled for April 1st, 1971. He divorced his wife a few years earlier Mm -hmm. and Yates married one Pamela Reynolds. Famously known throughout the racing community as Lady Pamela. Uh, He married her in 1978. Needham thought that he had a great idea. He wanted wanted to disguise his race team as an ambulance. No one would dare pull over an ambulance, right? So, Yates hit up the only guy he thought he could get his hands on a van. Dodge Chrysler PR expert, Moon Millens. They got a full-size Dodge van, outfitted with a 383 V8. Uh, they got lights on it, and they painted a Transcon Metavac livery on the side. Um, they took out the 383 and they put a 440 big block under the hood, and they okay. even painted a tiny uh, counterfeit Michigan registration sticker on the rear license plate. I think yeah, so this they is have like a,
3: the most illegal thing they've done. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> now they hard.
1: have a they have a hot rod van illegally painted to look like. An ambulance with fake registration on it. Yeah. What could go wrong? Nothing.
3: The crew would be Needham Yates, his wife, Lady Pamela, and lock, stock, and barrel owner, the restaurant where the race began, George Lysel.
1: Hey, uh, (laughs) we got the guy who owns the restaurant with us this time.
3: (laughs) Now they now <laughs> Pamela would play the patient. Her backstory was that she was a senator's wife with a rare lung ailment that needed to be transported to California for immediate surgery. And That's amazing. Planes, awesome. <laughs> and planes don't exist. <laughs> I love that they have a backstory.
1: A total I love of these guys,
3: yeah, a total of forty-seven teams entered the race, including in nineteen forty-eight Rolls Royce Silver Wraith imported from England, driven by an ex-royal family chauffeur. There was a Boss 302 Mustang, a few Porsche 928s, even two people who planned to ride a BMW R90s motorcycle nonstop. The PRDA chose to bring a white Chevy Z28, and the Hemmings Magazine crew decided to bring a 1936 Ford panel truck. The entrants were comprised of journalists, writers, racers, doctors, lawyers, playboys, and hardcore industrialists. The eclectic collection of personalities comprised what would have become the final official Cannonball Run ever. The largest car in the collection was a 454-powered Chevy dually pickup that averaged 5.4 miles to the gallon and <laughs> oh consumed 590 gallons of fuel on the trip. It won the critically acclaimed Friends of OPEC award at the end of the race.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: cheeky, yeah, nice. The race kicked off with the PRDA once again taking the pole position. <laughs> nice. <laughs> less
2: than the joke never gets old. Never, never. does.
1: No. Uh, less than eighty miles down the road in New Jersey, Yates and his team were caught and pulled over on Interstate eighty. This led to an amazing exchange between Yates and the two police officers. Yates and Lyle were dressed as the uh, ambulance, as the EMTs and exited the vehicle immediately to consult with the officers. Okay, now they're impersonating emergency personnel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the three of them were able to convince the two officers that the person lying under the sheets on the stretcher in the van was the very a very important senator's wife who needed to be rushed to California as soon as possible, and flying was not an option due to her condition. After a bit of doubt, they talked their way out of the stop and continued on their way. The officers didn't realize that they had been had until the first stories of the event were published.
3: Dude, that's so <sighs> embarrassing. If you are a cop, you are like, ah, yeah. oh, I. You know what, man? I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I told you, man. No,
2: I was saying I had a hunch. <laughs>
3: <laughs> to us in the steel womb of our Transcon medevac, Ohio resembled the Bonneville Salt Flats. They After a fast. while, the band... yeah, I eat. They go fast. <laughs> After a while, the van began to act up, eventually destroying its transmission. (laughs) By the time the teams had reached Missouri on April 2nd, authorities had realized what was going on and set up Missouri as a statewide roadblock. Uh, Missouri accounted for perhaps 30 arrests in a 12-hour span. One competitor was stuck in the slammer for seven hours. Others were hauled before judges across the state. The cops were really not happy, even saying, if we catch that black Jaguar, we're going to put it in the crusher and it's drivers in jail for life. But that didn't kill the contestant spirit.
2: You know what? Like, they can say that it didn't harm anyone. It didn't Mm -hmm. cause anyone inconvenience. They're causing millions of dollars in just like cop. Yeah. Taxpayer uh, money. Salary. Judges. Taxpayer money. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know how expensive
3: yeah. a roadblock is?
2: Yeah, to shut down a whole state? Yeah. <laughs> like, block off a whole state is insanely expensive.
1: Insane. The event was initially created as a form of protest, a way for Brock Yates to help push his anti-restriction views. But in the end, the reasons behind it had changed almost entirely. As one competitor, Toli Arunatov, the same guy who got arrested because of the Man Act, said, quote,
3: I was right, of course, but those high-speed hours being some of the most thrilling I have spent. They were also slashed with intervals of worry, boredom, conversations deep and shallow, inspirational (laughs) highs and lows of extreme fatigue, all soaked through with humor. If it seems on paper as though I represent our little Volvo as some sort of microcosm, some tiny compendium of life itself streaking across America,
1: well, that's only
3: because it was
1: <laughs> that's a pretty cool quote actually yeah i mean that yeah that i feel that way about our trip to albuquerque <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> i kind of love those moments where you're so exasperated and just exhausted that you just can't help but laugh mm-hmm.
1: oh yeah the
2: cannonball allowed contestants to hide from
3: the worries of real life even if it was only for a few hours for example Literally days before the race was the three-mile island accident and there was a major airline strike. The race became your world and even in the face of a speeding ticket, it was still a getaway. It made sense why the police were struggling to catch that Jaguar. The black Jaguar XJS driven by David Yarbrough and David Hines took first in the event, completing the run in a record setting, 32 hours and 51 minutes. Coming in eight minutes behind them was the Harvard team in their Mercedes led by Professor Thomas Hickley. Both teams averaged 88 miles per hour.
1: Yates, Needham, and the Transcon ambulance didn't fare so well. After a while, the Transcon and its transmission seemed to have decided that they no longer wanted to be together anymore. They broke up. (laughs) The team was stranded underneath a massive cement dinosaur that someone had built as a sightseeing platform outside of Vegas. I haven't been there. Have you guys been to that thing?
3: Uh, I think so.
1: I've been to that in Fallout New Vegas, but never in real life. Mm. I think it's, diff- <laughs> it's different than the one in uh, Palm Springs. Anyway, so they hoisted the ambulance onto the flatbed and rode it all the way to the finish line, arriving 12 hours after first place. We won by losing. <laughs> they finished the race with plenty of stories that Needham could take with him and use in the creation of his movie The Cannonball Run. While Yates had warned that the contest could have turned into a quote, the automotive version of the Bay of Pigs, it couldn't have gone better for the team. The 1979 running would be the last official Cannonball Run. The Cannonball Run movie, which was written by Brock Yates, was inspired by that very race. Initially, Burt Reynolds was not the first choice for the lead, but Steve McQueen, uh, had been diagnosed with stomach cancer, so the movie went into turnaround until a new actor until a new actor could be found. That's sad. Yeah, although from what I know about this movie, I think it's probably better that Reynolds was in it and not Steve McQueen. Yeah, uh, Reynolds had promised he would never reduce himself to the level of farce uh, of movies such as The Smoky and the Bandit, but all of a sudden his career was kind of slowing down and he decided to subject himself to the movie for a record pay at the time of five million dollars that's crazy that's a lot of money even now that'd be like a great i mean that's like a good rate for a big actor right five million
3: um i think so yeah i think yeah i know like jim carrey was making like 21 million dollars a movie like will smith and tom cruise those guys 90s money too yeah yeah it's crazy
1: Uh, When filming the movie, Needham said some wise words that would make a Fast and Furious director weep. He said, f*** the dialogue, let's wreck some cars. (laughs) Uh, He tended to wrap up shooting by late afternoon and set up shop in the hotel bar. And at the end, less than 200,000 feet of film was exposed for the entire film which was a little more than some advertising agencies would use for a 60-second commercial. So they used a lot of first takes, it sounds like. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) i got to watch it. Yeah, it sounds like a fun set. I'm going to watch this tonight. When it came time to decide if another cannonball would be run, there was one event that forced Yates' decision. When talking to a contestant from the 79 race, the man pointed to a Lamborghini Countach in the corner and stated, quote, that's what I'll use to win the next cannonball. Uh, recalling the 170 mile per hour rush of the Ferrari Daytona in his own record setting run, he considered the impact of having a world-class driver such as Dan Gurney driving at such speeds and then amateurs such as this man with his Countach. Yates decided that letting an absolute amateur on public highways was reckless and irresponsible and decided then and there that the cannonball races would be over. Huh. Um yeah.
2: That kind of goes against his like original ethos, right? That absolutely, like,
1: it's a total reversal. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like he grew up. Yeah, <laughs> it's growth, it's character <laughs> growth for Brock Yates.
2: Yeah, he's like, uh,
3: turns out, I don't really believe that stuff. In 1984, Yates organized the first Cannonball One Lap of America, which began as a complete tour of the nation. The winners would be the team that ran the roughly 9,000 mile route in the shortest distance. You know the expression, speak of the devil and the devil may just appear. Well, in 1985, it was none other than Ralph Nader and his legal team who attempted to shut down the one lap events, but they were unsuccessful. And one lap of America events still continue to this day as an amazing way to take your car around the country and tour beautiful sites and racetracks. Now to top it off, the event today is run by Brock Yates Jr., According to Gates, breaking a 30-hour record seemed basically impossible. With modern-day technology such as instant radar and improved radios and police coverage, the probability of making it from one coast to another without your time being ruined by repeated traffic stops was so low that it wasn't even worth considering. But where there's a will, there's a way. (laughs) As the story of the original Cannonballers grew into legend and began to fade over time, there was and still is a devout group of people who are devoted to breaking the record no matter the cost. When you see people who are carrying the torch of the original Cannonballers, you usually see other large group events or solo runners attempting to beat the record. So many groups such as the 2904, the Coast to Coast Race, and even the Cannonball Memorial Run have their roots stemming directly from the original events of the 1970s. But where the continued legacy of Cannonball really shines is in the skill and art behind the solo runs that aim to beat the current
1: record. During an event similar to the cannonball known as the U.S. Express, drivers Doug Turner and David Deem piloted their Ferrari 308 coast-to-coast in 32 hours in seven minutes in 1983. As Ed Bolian, founder of the VinWiki app and the YouTube channel, puts it, "quote it is a fraternity of lunatics that are still in love with the I idea. I could totally
2: see him saying that too fraternity of lunatics
1: (laughs) (laughs) that are still in love with the idea of the cannonball enough to sink so much into trying to compete in any way uh big shout out to vin wiki and ed bullion um the 1983 record stood for decades until it was finally beaten by alex roy and david mayer in 2006 uh they completed the trip in 32 hours and seven minutes in a e39 bmw m5 that was painted to look like a german police car Alex Roy held the record until Ed Bullion and his team beat him in 2013 with a time of 28 hours and 50 minutes. Jesus.
2: Damn, so he smashed it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, In his 2004 Mercedes-Benz CL55 AMG. Uh, That was a mind-blowingly fast time. Once again, it seemed impossible that anyone would ever reach another time even close to this one. It was as if the stars had aligned and it was his destiny to holds an unbreakable record
3: but records are meant to be broken and as recently as december of last year the record was smashed once more arnie Taman, doug Tabit, and berkeley chattuck completed the run from the red ball garage to the portofino hotel in as little as 27 hours and 25 minutes that's an average speed of 103 miles per hour. They beat the record in their specially modified 2015 Mercedes-Benz E63 AMG, which had been tuned to make, you know, 700 horsepower, and an exterior modified to make it look like a very nondescript silver Honda Accord sedan. That's my favorite. Just to compare, Cannonball Baker completed the first ever cross-country trip in 11 days and 7 hours. Now that in 1915. Barely 100 years later, we are now measuring the period of time you can cross the continent in a time barely longer than the length of a full day.
1: That's that's amazing, man. Yeah.
3: Racing, for the record, is still a dream of a fair number of people around the world. As Mr. Regular once said, California is the finish line of the world. While completing the record today takes thousands of dollars invested into defenses to help evade police and having many spotters looking for slash distracting police wherever necessary, it's still an accomplishment that resonates with people. The event transformed from an occasionally self-important political statement into a bunch of people who had one goal in mind, to drive as fast as possible and have as much fun as they can while doing it without hurting themselves or anyone else. And honestly, that's pretty cool. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think... um... (laughs) I think it's I think it's telling that that Brock Yates kind of had his transformation in his beliefs from thinking it was like a honest to god protest to mm-hmm. something that really is just about doing it for yourself, honestly,
2: and just having fun and being goofy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's and painting cars to look like emergency vehicles. Yeah, or like <laughs> turning a Mercedes into a Honda Accord. Yeah, I think, yeah I think that's so cool and so creative,
2: and just like printing out decals and. I, I think it's the most amazing part is just that cars are reliable enough to drive 103 miles an hour for 27 hours in a row. That's crazy to me. Like that, you know. I they did have their problems. Like a couple things broke down here and there, but that a machine can drive that fast for so long and not really
1: blow up. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah, sure. It's- that is that is really cool all right well that's the story of the cannonball run um i've been nolan sykes you can find me on instagram and twitter at nolan j sykes
3: i'm james Pumphrey. you can find me on both of those at james Pumphrey. joe you have a new i'm joe weber
2: i got a new handle on twitter and instagram it's joe g weber because there are so many joe webers already (laughs) uh uh yeah it's it's working out for me so far i got a lot of people in my comments saying what happened to dark webinar i think that's i moved moved on from that phase and uh this is my new brand right now yeah.
3: <laughs> and I, then, I love it of course you can follow donuts across all social media at donut media um
1: all right i love you yeah have a uh, wink wink <laughs> be kind to thanks thanks for listening